we're concluding, I guess, our, our series of sermons on weird tales of the Bible. And it's been an interesting study because I think there are things that on the surface in Scripture, you go, hmm, you know, that puzzles me. Why, you know, why is that there? How did that happen? And, and it's probably worth talking about. And so today, um, I'll show you Paul's uh, PC version, maybe. Or maybe we could just flip to the, there's only one more slide. Maybe. Okay, good. Jesus plays in the dirt. This is Paul's PC um, message, and I may or may not tell you what my actual title was. But um, this is the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, verses 1 through 11. You are probably very familiar with the scripture. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. But early in the morning, he went back to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat and taught them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and they forced her to stand before the people. They said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught having sexual relations with a man who was not her husband. The law of Moses commands that we stone her to death. What do you say we should do? And they were asking this to trick Jesus so that they could have some charge against him. But Jesus bent over and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they continued to ask Jesus their question, he raised up and said, Anyone here who has never sinned can throw the first stone at her. And Jesus bent over again and wrote on the ground. And those who heard Jesus began to leave one by one. First the older men and then the others. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus raised up again and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one judged you guilty? She answered, No one, sir. And then Jesus said, I also don't judge you. You may go now, but don't sin anymore. That sounds different. So this is what... See, we read it like that. This is what really happened. Jesus got up one morning, and people gathered around, and he sat down, and he began to teach them. And in the middle of what he was teaching, there's a group that comes through the crowd, and they're dragging a woman with them, and she's probably screaming or crying or both or alternately. There are probably people in the crowd who are also shouting, and certainly the Jewish leaders who are there, they're shouting to Jesus, and they actually come and they put a finger in his face is what I see, and they say, this is what Moses says, what do you say? And that's odd. Right? And they keep asking him questions. And Jesus says, whoever doesn't have any sin, cast the first stone. And he went back. And for years, even since Bible school, and I'm old, so 40 plus years, I think everybody's been asking the wrong question. How many of you heard them say, I wonder what Jesus wrote? You hear that? 
I wonder what he wrote. I wonder what he wrote in the dirt. I wonder what he said. And you know how I know that's not important? Because if what he wrote was important, John would have told us, wouldn't he? It would have been in the scripture for us. It would have been so easy. All he had to do was write one line. But in midst of all the... And here's what I used to say. I used to think that Jesus did this because it was unexpected. And it was creative. And it captured people's imagination. And that may not be wrong, but that also misses the point. I hope in all my shouting as I tried to lay out what really happened, you caught the chaos. There was a lot of noise as these people were dragging a woman, half naked or or worse, through the streets for judgment, only for a test. She was just a prop, like the chair that I'm sitting on. It was just a prop. They didn't care about her. And they really didn't care about Jesus. What they cared about was pushing forward their agenda, right? That's all they cared about. They didn't care about people. They didn't care about circumstance. They didn't even really, at that moment, they didn't even care about the law. They had totally lost their focus. They only cared about trapping Jesus in something that he said. And so what did Jesus do? He refused to have their argument. He initially silenced the noise. Because I'll bet, as he did this, the noise level reduced, didn't it? It had to. They're like, what's he doing? I don't know. What's he I don't know. What's going on? We, we thought we had him. Right? Jesus refused to have their argument. Jesus refused to engage them in the manner they wanted him to engage them. So I think number one is, Jesus silenced the noise. And number two, Jesus made them wait for an answer. And I want to go kind of through scripture and look at both of those things. Because I think they're very important, and I think we often miss them. And so my real, my real title of the sermon was, and Paul didn't think this was PC, where'd he go? <laughs> Why don't we all just shut up once in a while? Okay? And that's why he didn't want to do it. I, God bless Paul, because he's, he's trying to save me. And then I'm right out there anyway. I, 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 think, I think that there's a point at which we contribute to the noise, all the stuff that's going on. And certainly in, in our lives today, there's enough noise, isn't there? I, I'm, on a, I'm, on a, I'm on a call the other day with one of my coworkers, and she's complaining about everything and stuff in the news and everything. And then she stops and she said, oh, this just happened. And I'm like, what are you doing? She says, oh, I have the TV on in the background. Well, turn it off. If it's driving you crazy, stop. Right? We don't have to continue to engage the noise. And, and the, the reason why I, I know that there's some scriptural meaning behind this is because Psalm 46.10 says this. Anyone? It's going to be like Sunday school today. We're going to go back and forth. Be still 
and know that I am God. Some of the translations render that stop striving. Stop, stop fighting. Stop, just calm yourself and know that I'm God. Know that I have things under control. When Paul read his call to worship and he uh, used a a scripture that I was going to use and I'm like, wow, maybe it's a God thing. Who knows? I'm the God who is, who was, and who is to come. So if God was on his throne yesterday, God's on his throne today and he'll be on his throne tomorrow. And there's a little less that we have to deal with because we can trust that our God has things under control, right? Stop striving. Be still and know that I'm God. There's another great scripture, I think, that bears this out. And it's from 1 Kings uh, 19, uh, 9 through 13. And you may not recognize the verse, but Elijah the prophet has just been up on top of Mount Carmel. And he's had the conflict. You remember the story? All you Sunday school kids? Uh, Like 850 different prophets. 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asheroth. And I know Ken knows, but anyhow, because he went to Bible college too. So they teach you this stuff. So he has this wonderful challenge. And the prophets of Baal, their God obviously doesn't answer. And they're put to death with the sword. And it's one of the greatest triumphs, probably the greatest triumph in the life of Elijah. Right? You think? Maybe? Way up there. Because it's a direct challenge. And then Elijah does something which I don't get. He runs off and does what? Hides, hides in a cave. Very next chapter. He's hiding in a cave. Why? And, and, and here's why. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Because God wanted to know too. I, I don't know. And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. So God says, I'm going to pass by. You remember the story? Who remembers the story? Okay, so what happens first? You remember? Because I saw you raise your hand briefly. The wind. Yes, you are absolutely right. There's almost like a, 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 a tornado. Or I don't know what. There's a rushing mighty wind that it says pulls the mountains asunder, moves the rocks, and things are happening, and it's loud. And, it, and what does Elijah say? God, God's not in the wind, right? And right after that, there was an earthquake. Thank you. See, it's like Sunday school, and thank you. So... There was an earthquake, and then the, everything shakes, and the rocks again tumble, and, and, and everything is shaken, and Elijah says what? God, God wasn't in the earthquake, right? And then there's this fire, which I don't know what, the gas lines broke, I don't know what happened, but there's a fire, and it's roaring through the, the valley or whatever, uh, below where he is, there's a, a, a fire, and Elijah says what? God's not in the fire. Three really loud, gathering, attention-gathering things, and God wasn't in any of it. And then what happens? A whisper, a still, small voice. And God says, which I love, because they'd already asked him this, 
God says this. What are you doing here, Elijah? And, and he repeats it. So, uh, Lord, <laughs> you know, I, they're trying to kill me. You know, what do you, what do, you do? He, And so I, I can only think that Elijah was feeling sorry for himself, alone, isolated, that no one was listening to him. And, and maybe, I, I just think that maybe sometimes we need to withdraw from the world and find the, the prayer room that Jesus talked about and just invest time with God. Us and God and no other noise, no other distractions, not the things of this world, and realize that God's got all that. And all we are responsible for is us and our relationship with God. Elijah did the best he could. He challenged the prophets of Baal. He had a huge success. And and people still didn't respond. We're not responsible for how people respond. We're only responsible for our faithfulness to his word. Does that make sense? We are responsible for how we respond to God's word and God's message. And, and then one other thing that I will, it just hit me that in Joshua, uh, the sixth chapter, verses uh, 8 through 11, it tells the story of Jericho. You, you remember the story? It, if we, we, could, we could do a lot of this, Paul. We could do like a whole bunch of weird tales from the Bible because for six days, the nation of Israel walked around the, the city of Jericho and went back to camp. And they did nothing. And what, and I, I, they, it's not that they, they did nothing. They actually blew the horn. The, the priests were there and they blew the horns. But this is, what, this is what Joshua tells the people. But, but Joshua had told the people, do not give a war cry. He said, don't shout, don't say a word until the day I tell you to. What were they supposed to do? Nothing. Man, it's really tough to do nothing. I don't do nothing well. I mean, you know, it's like, um, but they had to wait. They walked around the city in silence for six days, and on the seventh day, they kind of did the same thing, and then they shouted, and the walls fell down, and you know the story, because it's all in Sunday school, right? Right? Okay. And so that's the second part of Jesus' message as I, as I see him sitting there on that seat in front of the crowds that he was trying to teach. And he didn't engage them. He made them wait. He didn't say anything. And I started thinking about all the times in Scripture where God tells people to wait, and then how it turns out. Abraham, or Abram, and Sarai, and God says, right, you're going to have a kid, right? Promises that. And they get together and they decide they're going to help God out, because obviously this hasn't happened, and so they just need to give God a helping hand, right? And that always goes well, doesn't it? No. 
And so the descendants of Hagar and the descendants, the other descendants of Sarah and Abraham are still fighting in that land where all this started. Why? Because God gave Abraham a simple command. I'm, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to make your name great. And he couldn't wait. So he took it into his own hands. There's also uh, Saul in 1 Samuel 13. You remember the story? So Samuel is coming. Uh, he's agreed to come on a certain day and offer a sacrifice because that's what the priest did. You remember the story? And so what happens? Anyone? Sunday school, come on. Yeah, Saul decides, okay, I'm going to help God out. Samuel's not here. I'm just going to do the sacrifice myself. I've seen it done before. It'll be fine. It's at that very moment that God tells Saul, I am going to rip the kingdom away from you. Done. Because you couldn't wait. There's others. Uh, there's other people who had to wait. Hannah, um, when, she's, when she's praying that God will give her a son, and uh, Eli the prophet comes by, he thinks she's drunk. He says, well, may, may God get you what you're praying for. Jacob, um, we did Jacob in one of our stories. He worked for seven years for Rachel and gets the ugly daughter. I don't know. I mean, that's not my words. That was, that's in the Bible. And then he has to wait again to get Rachel, right? He has to a week or something, I think. Elizabeth and Zachariah, they don't have kids. And God tells them, you're, you're going to have a kid in their old age. And here's one of the hardest. The apostles are gathered around Jesus in the book of Acts. And they still don't get it. And they asked Jesus, Lord, is it at this time you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And God says what? It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which God has set by his own authority. But you shall receive power after that which the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What did they have to do? Nothing. <laughs> they just had to wait. Until the Spirit came. I, uh, I don't know if you're still doing this, Matt, but when I, when I first started, um, just after I started coming to church here, Matt used to do a study, Experiencing God, um, Henry Blackaby. And I don't know if I ever told you this. One of the things, he has the videos and everything. It's a really good study. And I'm going to tell you how this hit me back then and why it's a good idea now. So Blackaby... We're watching the video, and I come from a long line of good old American values that say, don't just stand there, do something. You know the one. <laughs> and Blackaby says, did you ever consider that God may be saying to you, don't just do something, stand there. 
And that hit me so, I'm like, I don't know if I ever told you. That hit me so wrong. I'm like, no. Ah, object of rest remain at rest. And object of motion we go into motion. All those logical things. But you know what? There are times where I desperately believe now that God tells us, just stand there. Just wait for me. And I, I keep hitting this. I'm sorry. Uh, Blackaby is, is a huge proponent of just... Take a look at where God's working and try and put yourself in the center of God's will. I'm not doing a great job, but it's a good study. So if you're not doing it, anyhow, uh, sorry. (laughs) Um, We need to look and see where God is at work. We cannot allow ourselves to become as blinded as those men who drug someone in as a prop and said, what are you going to do? Because they were so entrenched in being right that they forgot everything they knew about God and Scripture. God's plans so often uh, don't make don't make sense to us. Um, you, you remember uh, one more Sunday school lesson. Uh, you remember remember the story of Gideon. So Gideon is going out, and he has, if remember the numbers right, 32,000 men. And the enemy has something like 135,000. And I get this sense that Gideon goes to God and says, Lord, we have a problem. And you know what God says? Oh, you're right. We have too many men. <laughs> right? I mean, that's... That's almost straight from scripture. You have too many men. So he said, go ask him how many of are afraid. And 22,000 go home. He's left with 10,000 men. So they're outnumbered now roughly 13 and a half to 1. And I'm sure Gideon went to God and says, Lord, we have a problem. And he goes, yeah, you're right. You still have too many men. Because no one's going to believe that I delivered you from the hands of Midian if it seems even in the scale of human probabilities. So he has them go down to the stream, which I've always found this weird. And he said, and watch how they drink. And so 300 men did this. They knelt down and they scooped up the water and they brought it to their mouth. And the rest of them lapped it up like a dog. That's really what the scripture says. I'm not making that up. I don't know why that made a difference, but I'm in favor of sending those guys home. Um, So all those men went, it left them with 300 men. They are now outnumbered 450 to 1. And God says, yeah, now we've got it. There's a lot of things in scripture that don't make sense. And we're not responsible for all the things that happen out there. You know what we're responsible for? Ourselves and the people we come in contact with. I, uh, that scripture of uh, I am the God who is and who was and who is to come. When my wife was first diagnosed with cancer, I called my brother and we were chatting and he said this 
you believe that God was on his throne yesterday? Well, yeah. Then this news doesn't change that. God's still on his throne today. And he'll still be on the throne tomorrow. And all we can do is continue to be faithful to the message we've been given, right? And there was a lot of noise. You know, if, if anybody's, uh, some of you have, you or a loved one's gone through, uh, you know, you get the news that there's cancer. There's an awful lot of noise. But you got to tune that out and realize that the God who is and who was and who is to come is still in charge. 2 Timothy 2, 23-25. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them Repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Our goal is to be a witness. I may not have the ability to have an impact on the world stage, but I can impact the people God places before me every day. Those are the people I can touch. And sometimes it just means me tuning out the noise and focusing on those people. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples. I'm no Greek expert. Probably Ken is. But what I've been told is that that could be translated as you go. Wherever you go, you are to teach and preach and make disciples. I think that's important because we live our lives in the real world. And what we're responsible for is carrying that message of Christ to the people we encounter. So try and tune out some of the noise that's going on and simply give yourselves to God and allow him to direct your lives. I encourage you again, I I said this a couple weeks ago, list five people that you're going to pray for every day and pray that God touches them, pray that God offers you an opportunity to speak the word of Christ into their lives, but wait on his timing. Pray for at least five people every day for their coming to know the Savior. That's my challenge today. Let's stand and sing. 